1: From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas, is here on A's Cast Live. To
2: the A's legendary players.
1: Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire, is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. you used to about out here lunch and run with our
2: shirts off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered
3: with Chris Townsend.
1: Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We're going to be hearing some of Jessica Kleinschmidt's interviews that she's done for A's Total Access. Former MLB pitcher, now TV star Dontrell Willis, former GM from Sirius XM MLB Radio, Jim Duquette, Ronell Brooks-Moon, the Bay Area radio legend and Hall of Famer, does PA for the Giants, and A's scout Jeff Erlob, all right here on A's Unfiltered.
3: Welcome back to A's Total Access, presented by Chevron. We have Marlins coming into town to face the A's. Jessica Kleinschmidt here, first pitch scheduled for 640. But before that, we have two-time All-Star pitcher Dontrell Willis joining us today. D-Train, my friend, how are you?
4: Oh, trying to live the dream like you, young lady. But I'm doing really, really well in this, uh, enjoying the season. It seems like it's going by fast.
3: It is. I, I blinked and I'm still in denial we even had the all-star break and you know i mentioned this matchup ahead of us and it's really cool that i have you on because there are two teams that impacted your life and i wanted to start with the a's first and foremost you know you're an oakland native yourself and you once said on a fox broadcast and stopped me in my tracks you said the a's saved your life so what did you mean by that
4: Wow, that's a great question well you know um uh, when I was young, before I moved to the city of Alameda, which is right next door to Oakland, and everybody knows that, um, you know, I lived on 35th Avenue, and my grandfather was just an avid, you know, A's fan, and so literally we had to be home at 7:05, which is totally weird, you know what I mean? But in the baseball sense, it's understandable. And, uh, you know, and just a huge Dave Stewart fan and and just growing up in Oakland and watching Battle of the Bay and, you know, seeing Dave Stewart and and Carney Lansford and and the Bash brothers. And, I mean, the names just go on and on. I mean, it was just a dream to be so close in proximity of of a great ball club. And, you know, uh, the A's were really, really key in a lot of people's lives growing up, like CeCe Zabacchia, anybody kind of our age you know, the A's and Giants were very, very talented when we were young. So just watching Dave Stewart, man, and I remember my mom taking me to a field one time and Dave was throwing against the Rangers. And uh, I looked at him and I said, well, that's where I'm going to be. And, and, you know, the rest was history. So that's why I say the A's saved my life because I honestly don't don't know what I'd be doing if I didn't have baseball.
3: Oh, I love that. And, and it's cool that you mentioned Dave Stewart because when you and I worked together at NBC, we also shared the stage with, with Stu um mm-hmm. during the broadcast so what was that like it's kind of a full circle come to god moment that's got to be amazing oh man
4: uh, listen just to hear his voice and messing with me and you and brody brazil and, yeah. and his old man laughs i mean it's everything you know what i mean because this is a guy that's a, a hero of mine and i i remember having his poster on my wall and to see him smile and mess with me and and and, and be on the same stage with him you know it, it you know it's out of body, but you know and you know Stu he he he's the nicest human even though he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time and he's a big time jokester and and a junk food eater at that too so mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just fun fun to be around him it's really fun to be around.
3: Never let the stare get to you. He has a very sweet disposition. It's really funny. I'm like, okay, that voice is coming out of that stare. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, he's fantastic. And, you know, going back to the Marlins, during your time there, despite your pitching, which the numbers kind of speak for themselves, you had a very – a, you know great career on the mound you still you had a bat as well you had nine line long balls to your name across your career and now we have this guy I don't know if you've heard of him Shohei Otani making not just a career out of it but I feel like he's changing the game so can you kind of talk about the evolution of the two-way player from the time you were out there or if you would even designate yourself as a two-way player
4: I definitely would not designate myself as a two-way player. It was just a pitcher that just so happened to help himself at the plate. Um, Shohei Otani is just a totally different monster. I mean, you can't even really quantify what he has done. I mean, only you can actually because he's doing it again in the second year in a row. Yes, <laughs> so yes. now you have something to be able to build off of as far as like how good he is. And, you know, besides Mike Trout, who's, you know, the game's best player, a generational ch- talent, But, you know, the fans still come to the ballpark to see Shohei Otani. I I mean, to the point now where I don't even think they care if they win or lose. They just want to see Shohei strike out 10 people and hit two home runs. And he does it. So, (laughs) you know, it's it's fun to watch somebody that's a cheat code in the game and making the game look so easy.
3: He is a cheat code. Our all-star Paul Blackburn said, Facing Shohei is like playing... MLB the show and create a player mode and all the numbers are turned all the way up. I couldn't imagine. <laughs> it was a beautiful quote. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Um, and with that being said, though, I mean, obviously, when you grew up and you played through high school and everything else, there, two way players were a thing, right? And I feel like right, now right. When they get older in college or maybe JC. These JUCO bandits. They kind of have to make a choice. You know, you're either gonna be a pitcher, or you're gonna be a position player, what have you. Do you think because of Shohei, we're gonna see the evolution of maybe more young kids embracing the two-way role, hoping they can still get a major league job.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think and and a lot of kids think this, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to to stay on the field. So if right. I can pitch and hit, you know what I mean? I I I'm gonna be able to do it. Now, You know, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot out of your body. I mean, and only people that really pitch and and see the game and then around the game like yourself, you know, it takes a lot out of you to be able to pitch and throw 100 pitches in one day. You know what I mean? So I think the Angels have done a great job of setting that up and having a six-man rotation so it gives them that extra day. But, again, if you're an athlete, you know, you want to see kids, you know, play at multiple positions and play multiple uh, sports as well. I know I did. So, yeah, I think he's definitely going to inspire, you know, the next couple generations to say, "Hey, I'm I'm talented enough to go out there and do it at the highest level."
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's really cool to show that you can. Hopefully, you have the endurance to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you mentioned getting you know worn out after a hundred plus pitches. But you know, when you were playing, I always make the the joke. I'm old enough to remember when a pitcher would go nine innings, and now we're dipping in the right. bullpen. And you want to say six six inning is is early, but it's a rarity. We're excited to see a pitcher throw a complete game. And what kind of happened along the way where we weren't seeing that that much? Is it an ode to like giving props to the bullpen because I feel like they're certainly doing their job in a certain aspect. But we also want to see the guy go nine
4: um well, people started throwing on a hundred
3: there. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. People, you know, the, the the evolution of the athlete is for strength and, and really understanding your body. Um, I think that was the collision course with that. And obviously if you have multiple guys that can throw a hundred and get max effort for twenty to thirty pitches down there in the bullpen, then that kinda changes the game. So, you know, and, and it's very difficult for starting pitchers to face guys three times and and if you see a lot of guys' numbers the third time around in the lineup, you know, all of a sudden the team's hitting you know, the opponent's batting average is 300 plus. And so teams don't want guys to see, if you're a starter, see the lineup three times. So I think the combination of that and then also the bullpen guys throwing 100 now. I mean, yeah. it's like every team has three guys that can throw tri- triple digits now. I mean, I remember when I was playing, it was cool to throw 95, not just oh, a yeah. regular fastball. you know
3: that's cute
4: right right yeah right 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 right. below average fastball you know what I mean and stuff like that so I think it's those components that have really just changed the game but uh I enjoyed going you know starting what I finished and and, uh going out there and going deep in ball games
3: yeah it's been interesting to see and almost it feels like a a long time ago memory and I I think of Verlander a lot you know oh yeah you sit there nine in games all the time and you have a strong bullpen you don't want to ignore it and then you want to change things up so it's just interesting to hear from a guy from from your era now before I let you go one of my all-time favorite stories working with you uh you know during this season during the series we're going to see Jesus Lazardo going up against his former a squad at least as far as the schedule is concerned now this is a Parkland Florida native who grew up watching Don. John Trell Willis. Not only that, but he said he was your favorite or you were his favorite player growing up. And I just remember kind of telling you and I talked to him about it before and it was it was awesome. But what's it like to hear from somebody like that? Not just the fact that it's him, but he's connected to both of the clubs that, you know, are part of your life as well.
4: No, yeah, it, it it's it's surreal, and and I'm a guy that doesn't take compliments well, so I no. always make a joke like, "You got to work on your heroes better than that <laughs> young man," and he started laughing, you know. But you know, it's it's cool to hear Nestor Cortez, who's a pitcher for the Yankees, say, "I was his favorite player," you know, Anthony Rizzo, you know, Nick Castellanos. Well, these are all guys that you know, grew up in South Florida, and, and and so again, you connected with Dave Stewart, you know, being from the Bay Area, it, 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 you inspire a generation. Stu always gives me a half-hearted smile and he appreciates it. You know what I mean? So yeah. you do that to inspire the next generation, man. So, you know, uh, uh, Sandy Alcantara, he's, he's about to break all my records for the Marlins. And, <laughs> you know, people are asking me, like, how do you feel about that? And I'm like, man, records are made to be broken, man. And, and if I get inspired in the next generation, man, so be it. You know what I mean? So it's really, really cool, really surreal. I'm, I'm, I'm always thankful. Uh, I still talk to Jesus a lot um and so I'm, I'm really proud of his uh, redevelopment in miami uh and what have you so it's just you know it, it's fun man but uh, you know I, i'm a very blessed man I, I enjoyed the uh the ride in baseball and i continue to enjoy the ride and still be part of the game in, in broadcasting
3: well the game's better because of you and i'm not just saying that because <laughs> and i genuinely mean that you bring something new yeah. and different but you know old school and new school and you know we learn something and we're entertained. and i'm just i'm forever thankful that they they keep bringing you onto the broadcast. So it's awesome.
4: Nah, you're the best, yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you.
3: Welcome back to A's Total Access, presented by Chevron. Jessica Kleinschmidt here. Now, the 2022 tra- trade deadline came, went, still debating if it conquered. We can dive deeper into that. My guest today is baseball analyst for MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM and former GM himself, Jim Duquette. Jim, my friend, how are you today? Hello.
0: How are you, Jess? Good to be with you. Uh, interesting deadline, huh, when you look at uh... – you know, just when you look at it globally as a sport, we uh, may not ever see a player traded like Juan Soto ever again. That's how that's how crazy it was.
3: Yeah, and you're saying it's interesting. But before we dive into Juan Soto, have you have you had a chance to just catch your breath yet? Over after the deadline, are we good?
0: Yeah, we we're good. You know, it's funny because on this side of it, on the on the broadcast media side of it. Um, you can get involved as much or as little as you want. I tend to dip my both feet in, but I don't jump all the way in, um, like Ken Rosenthal and John Heyman and and um, JP Morosi. Those guys are the the stars of the. Of the from the broadcast side and from the media side because they're breaking news all the time they're they're unbelievable I mean you know too how, how difficult it is to break news so uh, most of the time we're um, analyzing it but I like to get involved just obviously from a, a GM perspective sometimes uh, I'll, I'll um, pick somebody somebody might pick my brain on an organization that I know pretty well so I get involved with it to, to a little degree but not nearly the way I used to so the the sleeping hours are much better. I think we talked to Thad Levine of the Minnesota Twins, and he literally said, I haven't slept, and I won't until later tonight. So that would have probably been like a 36-hour period where he didn't sleep. I think most GMs are like that.
3: Yeah, so you're, you're sleeping now, which is a beautiful thing. Now, we're, obviously, you mentioned Juan Soto. That was pretty much the headliner. We knew heading into the trade deadline that would happen, but not just the fact that the Padres acquired him, but Josh Bell as well. And then, of course, we had Josh Hader, the Musgrove extension. What are your initial thoughts on how the Padres did at the deadline? And is this just A.J. Preller's world and we're living in it?
0: I think so. I I think that's the thing that, um, you know, he's so aggressive all the time. And that's where, you know, if you're uh, competing against him like the Dodgers are or any of the National League teams for that matter, because they're going to be a force in the National League now, um, you really have to pay attention to it. And, you know, when you get impact – like they did. And it wasn't just Soto, but, you know, Josh Bell is impactful middle of the lineup bat haters, obviously impact when it comes to um, being a closer, Brandon Drury, you know, is a a versatile players over 20 home runs. Like they, they really hit every single area that they needed. And then of course, Tatis is coming back, uh, which nobody really has a player like that. who has been on the injury list that's going to be returning to the roster. So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, when you look at it in that light, did they come up short so far? The first four months, far, yeah, far short. They're they're what a they, ten games back of the Dodgers, so not likely they're winning the division. But they are a huge threat in the postseason. And you know, their pitching, which faded last year, has has stayed strong. And I think adding haters has really helped them. So, uh, yeah, I think they're gonna, that's going to be. I can't wait to see that lineup when it's in full force with
3: Tatis back. You know, I, I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention enough, but I thought it was just going to be Juan Sona, Juan Soto in solidarity. But we don't talk about – Josh Bell was hitting over 300 heading into the deadline as well. That's got to be – you want to talk about aggressive. That's really aggressive on Prowler's part.
0: Well, it is because he had a couple first basemen, right? He had Hosmer there. He had Boyd there. Uh, but, you know, those, those two really weren't um, working for them when you kind of look at the overall lineup. Obviously, Boyd was injured earlier and then – he, he came back and you know Hosmer had a great start. Hosmer, you know in fairness to him, he carried them and he and uh, Machado in the month of April, right. So um, I think when you look at him and you know he did he had kind of a down, I'd say down career when you look at it overall compared to the money that he was paid there for the Padres, he did serve some some really good uh, seasons for them. And I think Manny Machado said it best right um, after the deadline. He was excited for the new players, but he said we lost a really good guy in the clubhouse in in Hosmer. So that's always something that a GM has to take into consideration. The talent clearly trumped, you know, any subtraction when it comes to the clubhouse chemistry, because winning will will, will fix that or cure that. But um, I I do think that, um, you know, with with. Bell filling in there he is an upgrade over both of those players and that's the thing that you're always looking to do even if it's incremental upgrades The GM's always trying to do that to the roster and obviously AJ he upgraded more than just incrementally
3: and the Eric Hosmer situation was unique I'd never seen anything like that there's a no trade clause involved and we're waiting on him to make a decision obviously the trade was going to go through but have you ever seen anything like that where something was halted due to a player's no trade clause you
0: no know, it happens uh, a little um it happened uh, when I was with the the Mets way back back in 2000 that was 20 over 20 years ago but we were trying to trade for Barry Larkin at the deadline uh, who was with the Reds and he had a no trade and he wanted to he wanted to get an extension and we we didn't want to do the extension we just wanted him for the final three months of the season and so he said he turned us down he said no we had a deal in place, and so it happens. You know, it's happened to uh, to me before. Um, I think that part of it is, um, you know, one of those that you don't see it rarely. But I, I think, you know, I think with Hosmer, he did what he should do. He had to consider all of the the, the situations, the opportunities, and then weigh whether he's willing to accept it. And so he didn't, and they found a home for him, obviously in Boston, where he where he couldn't control where he went. And um, you know, and then they obviously traded uh, void as well.
3: Yeah, it's very interesting to watch. Uh, and not going to lie, I just did like the drama a little bit. So we're gonna yes. we're gonna we're gonna shift to the A's a little bit more. Heading into the trade deadline, I knew we all knew Frankie Montas would not be wearing the green and gold after that deadline. The Lou Trevino situation kind of caught me off guard, but you know, with this trade in the return from the Yankees, they did get some young arms, so these pitching prospects. The draft. Historically with the A's, the guys are going to stick to some of these position players. Um, obviously we love a catcher when you're hearing about an organization in the process where the A's are right now, rebuilding, if you will, what picture does that paint for the future of a team like this, being able to acquire a lot of guys to start on the bunk?
0: Well, I, I think that is um, a way to manage your, your payroll, which has been a, you know, and obviously an issue with Oakland um, until they get the the stadium situation settled. And when you're going to go out and uh, keep your payroll low and they've done a good job over the years, you know, even looking at what Cole Irvin has done this year, but Bassett prior, like they find these diamonds in the rough that, that either are cast off from other organizations or maybe don't aren't viewed the same way in other organizations. And they turn them into really good uh, starting pitchers at the major league level. And so when they, you know, for me, uh, that's the area where, you can and it's so expensive to go sign starting pitchers um, and the, there's a premium out there and and all of the really good ones end up going to the you know the high revenue clubs and the high payroll clubs so in places like Tampa and Oakland the best way to win and to keep kind of flipping that roster is to have a ton of pitching and Oakland has done a great job over the years and so has Tampa of developing young pitching, the pitchers they got back for Montas and Trevino, I thought was a really good uh, take. I've seen uh, Walter Chuck uh, recently in the futures game and he's at least a middle of the rotation type starter. It might be even better than that. Sears has pitched well at the major league level. Medina's is a good prospect. You know, they, they hit, I thought, all of the areas that you're looking for in that type of deal um, for, you know, obviously in a year, year and a half of Montes. and, and a guy in Trevino who, you've seen too that he's been really good for them he wasn't good this year but he was starting to pitch the way he's capable of Uh, I think his last eight or nine starts he had pitched much better so I think like a mid three era so so I think that part of it is um um you know they needed an arm Yankees did in the bullpen in addition to the the rotation piece so they got what they were looking for but but it came at a heavy cost And I think Oakland will benefit from it for sure
3: yeah. And we got to see Babyface Lou Trevino, still weird to look at. We'll see that with Montas too. It's always a thing. Um, but besides, you know, trading off uh, Austin Allen, as far as, you know, a minor league catcher, the A's didn't make a lot of moves. Now I tweeted out the lineup yesterday and I was like, wow, I recognize a lot of these names. Did Were you anticipating a team, maybe not the A's specifically, but a team who's more of a seller this season. I thought they were going to make more moves.
0: Yeah, I did too. I, you know, I, I thought, um, you know, when you kind of go back right after we got out of the, 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 uh, collective bargaining discussions, you know, they had a chance to go one or two ways. And I thought they would have maybe waited until the deadline, like they did, if they weren't in the mix and then made a couple trades, um, when they traded Mania right before opening day, you know, I think that was, we kind of had a sense of the course that they were going to go, um, but you know, I still, around the deadline, I, you always wonder, you know, who else like Kemp is a guy that I think a lot of guys would, a lot of teams would love to have. So same with Piscotty, you know, so, so they do have some, some people, you know, another guy. So um, it seemed like Murphy might be on the, on the move, even though he's still a controllable piece, there was a lot of interest in him. So I thought they might go a little bit further, but you know, in the end, I'm glad they didn't, at least with Murphy in particular, I think he fits so well. And I know, I know they have some young catching coming up, but, but, you know, I think there's always a deal that you can make in the winter time. If you want that, um, that maybe maximizes his value a little bit more. And, and you can fill a couple of needs.
3: Yeah. And I know David force loves him some Sean Murphy. And I was very impressed with the, the way he was able to hold on to him. Also a little shock, Chad Pinder that he remained on the roster. I know a lot of teams can benefit from a veteran presence heading into the postseason. want to revisit, Your shout out to Cole Irvin. That dude deserves some love. Waiver wire or a waiver wire, a wire pick, a waiver pickup from the Phillies. Um, uh, A little bit of above a three ERA. A home ERA is just insane right now. Just a tick above one. So he was playing with a little bit of a weight on his shoulder. And I'm glad he's evening himself out now. Um, And I want to talk about this change in kind of, I don't know, motivation as far as the A's go. You know, last season, I feel like they had arguably the best return in the trade deadline. Josh Harrison, Andrew Chafin, Jan Gomes, and then, of course, Starling Marte. Now they're sellers. So put your GM hat on for a little bit. We know heading into spring training how that's going to be, but how do you shift so quickly from that transition as far as the front office goes?
0: Well, yeah, I think with Oakland, they 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 have to be nimble, um, more Uh, than other organizations i think and we've seen that over the years how many different iterations that david forrest and billy bean go through you know year after year after year when they're looking at and they're constantly weighing how do they fit within the within the division and how are they competitive enough and can they can they you know the astros have always been really the division yeah the american league goes through houston really so, how do you stack up? You got to, have to really start there. And how do you stack up against Seattle and watching how aggressive they were and all the money that was spent by Texas in the wintertime? And I think when you start to, you know, and even I'm not even counting the Angels because obviously they haven't played well lately. But if you go back, uh, you know, to the wintertime when they were aggressive spending money too, um, you know, you, you looked at that and you're like, wow, well, we're going to have a hard time competing in this division. And so, you know, they're pretty realistic about it. it stinks if you're a fan there because you get accustomed to, Spending, um, you know, a lot of time and, and energy uh, cheering for certain guys. And they put the roster a lot. But I, I really feel, I'm trying to remember, it was probably four or five years ago when we would talk to Billy and David, for that matter. And it was, they hadn't come to the agreement yet in the stadium, but they were like hopeful. I think the plans had just come out for it in the Howard Terminal area. And he said, you know, this is the closest we've ever been to – feeling like we could keep our homegrown guys. And that was when Chapman was, yeah. you know, just a young player. Right. And, and they had uh, Olson as just a young player and that kind of, you know, after over, over time, they have shown, they can't afford uh, those players at least right now, as they, as they get older, unless they have a new stadium. So you kind of know what you're getting into there. And I give them a lot of credit because they seem to uh, be able to, to keep, the window open for a certain period of time and then they're like okay we we get it we see where we fit and and pulling the plug it's hard to do like it, you, you just um you know it, it's it's a business obviously but you do get uh, attached to some of these good young players and and certainly they they didn't want to have to make those those uh those trades
3: tell me about it i, I know the attachment and it's it's sad to see but i, I agree we kind of know what we're going into and it's a a mentality the team definitely learns to adopt uh, Jim, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. You
0: got it. Anytime, Jess. Nice to see you.
3: Welcome back to A's Total Access presented by Chevron. Jessica Kleinschmidt here ahead of the Bay Bridge Series. First pitch at 4.07. My next guest doesn't need much of an introduction. She's the voice who welcomes you with open arms when you arrive at Oracle Park. Renell Brooks-Moon joins me today. How are
2: you, my dear? Really, really good and so thrilled to be with you, Jess. I'm so proud of you.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I'm like kind of giddy over here. So I'm going to try to not fangirl so much, but you know, we do have this friendly Bay area rival rivalry upon us. So talk to me about the historical background when the A's face, the giants, tell me like what it feels like and maybe your favorite part.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, what's interesting, Jessica is, you know, I grew up rooting for both of these teams. So for me personally, it's, this series is always a challenge. For yeah. <laughs> me. I mean, clearly I have allegiance to one team over the yes. other, but there's another team that arrived, you know, when I was 10 years old, the Oakland A's Yeah, that I've been a fan of since then. So for me personally, it's always a bit of a challenge, but the energy in both ballparks, because I'll be there today, but mm-hmm. it, in our, at Oracle, the energy is just super bananas, you know, and it's always split pretty much 50-50, right down the middle at both ballparks. And uh, um, so historically, I guess, because there wasn't a Bay Bridge series or Battle of the Bay when I was growing up, you know? And there's always been, I feel like this, well, I was going to say friendly competition all of these last few decades or whatever, but for the fans, it's serious, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. The fans take this very seriously, and I also will say, Jessica, that it's a lot more fun when both teams have winning records. I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. No,
3: the the (laughs) elephant is in the room and it's on the table now. I get it. Yes.
2: But I also feel like today it's going to, you know, it's going to bring joy to both fan bases. You know, we we're were able to experience the joy of this series after such challenging seasons for both of us. I think it's going to be great today. Um. It's it's really interesting, you know, there's a there's a friendly competition between the broadcasters and myself with Amelia, you know. Yeah. She, she's already like tweeted out, you know, yeah, yeah. down, she's
3: she's so. good to go. She's ready to go. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. But um I just have always felt Jessica that we're so lucky to live in the Bay Area and have two major league teams that we can root for. And and I stand by that to this day. You know, think of you know, the smaller markets that don't get this kind of love or or don't even have a. Some cities don't even have teams, so I feel like we're really, really fortunate. And I think it's going to be, it'll uh, be a really fun weekend. I don't even know if I answered your question, but
3: <laughs> no, I think you definitely did. I feel like there's sometimes saying a lot. Just it's it's so hard to put into words just how it is because. And you mentioned the teams not having winning records, but the rivalry's still there, and I want fans to remember that, right?
2: Exactly, and I really think, think we're going to see that on on full blast today. I mean, this is something that. Let's just have some fun yeah. today, you know, let's, let's let's get back to, let's kick it old school and just have some fun today. That's what we all need. This is such a hard time. Oh my gosh. It's like, I feel like it's still 2020 in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. Like we, like we never got out of it, you know, and just everything that's going on in the world. It's just so heavy. Let's turn off the news, get off the phones. Let's go enjoy some good old baseball today.
3: I agree. And, you know, these, these two teams, you know, they play a home series and a away series as pretend pertains to both teams. When you're on the PA and you announce the Mike Stremskis of the world, the Brandon belts of the world, is there a little bit more extra oomph when it's these two Bay area teams battling it out?
2: No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And uh, like I mentioned, it's pretty much split 50 50 with the fan base. So when we've got a lot of ACE fans in the house, I got to juice it up a little bit. Yes. My guys. Yes. Just- Quick sidebar story about Yaz, if I may. Of course. I didn't know until two years ago that he was my Carly Strymski, his granddad, was my papa's favorite player. Oh my goodness. My, mother just shared that with me, you know, a couple a couple of years ago. I was like, why have you never what? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, my my papa grew up following Negro League Baseball, grew up uh-huh. in the Jim Crow South could have never imagined his granddaughter yes. to grow up and work as a PA announcer in Major League Baseball and then to announce the grandson of his favorite player. I have goosebumps every time I tell that story. But yeah. yes, a lot of, um, but also, you know, also my energy is dictated by the um, action of the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But definitely they get, there's definitely a little extra when the A's are in our, in our ballpark for sure.
3: And you're talking about some of these full circle moments. Those happen a lot in baseball.
2: They really, really, really do. I mean, like shout out to Will Clark, who just had his number retired. Let's go. I mean, I'm going to, I'm with the OGs. That's, that's my era. You know, the Will Clarks, the Jeffrey Leonard's, the Kevin Mitchells, you know, and I, how weird is it that I know these guys now? And I was going to Candlestick with my best friend from high school, Tina Shadowin. shout out Tina, who's st- still in my life today. And we're yeah. still good friends and everything. So I'm like, I'm at the Will Clark pre-party, which blows my mind. Right. First of all, let's say that. And I'm like, ah, full circle. I was like, Will, Candlestick. I was there in the house, in the wind, in the cold all yeah. the time. And now I'm here at your party. So you're right. Full circle, total full circles. Through, throughout my career even in radio too
3: it's crazy yeah and and tell me a little bit about that because you go from announcing these guys like the Will Clarks of the world and I'm still in denial he's retired period because I feel like he's, his spirit is around the game so much for sure it really is so you go from announcing these guys to now they're not just you know whether they're working in the media or the front offices and stuff like that what's it like kind of seeing some of these guys transition from being a player to doing what they're doing now
2: um, I, it's, it's amazing that to watch them because it, they still have a way to be engaged in the sport that they've been playing since they were little boys, yeah. you know, and how about Will Clark just, you know, I'm going to have a word with Jock Peterson or Barry's going to have a word with Jock Peterson, you know, and then they, ju- they love being an ambassador and they love teaching the game right now which isn't an easy transition for a lot of players, right? Mm-hmm. But and then the Giants, I have to say, are you're so great about keeping all of our legends close. They're always at the ballpark. They're, you know they're always in the clubhouse. And for me to, you know, watch them do their thing now, it just it just brings me great joy. I love this game so much, Jess, and I can't even believe I'm, you know, how privileged I've been to work for Major League Baseball and I always see something different at you know every game. Matter of fact, the last game with the Dodgers. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, prepare for the postseason when we have to see Kirk Gibson doing this all the time, which yes. I cannot stand. We have Tell to Tell me about that. it. Tell oh me about God. it. We have to see that loop over and over and over and over. But again, I digress. Yes. I was gonna go back to um the the last game with the Dodgers and I I saw something I'd never seen before. It was so impressive. Um, When Kershaw went out unexpectedly with a back injury, I saw Mookie, as I call him, go from from right field into the bullpen to kind of like get a handle on the situation because nobody's warming up, right? Kershaw's going out. We didn't know. He's going to get hurt. So I saw Mookie go in the bullpen and get a handle on the situation. I got my binoculars. I'm watching the whole thing. (laughs) handle on a situation and then the other two outfielders joined him and I was like look at that is leadership right yeah there. That, and, and I was just I learn something and see something new every day in this game and that's why I always say I love it so much because it's a metaphor it's a metaphor for life it's a game of failures yeah as can as life can be but you gotta get back up and play the game the next day yeah but I was really I've been telling that story to everybody I don't know if you know, casual fans, I don't think really.
3: No, I get that, <laughs> but yeah. I
2: saying, but I was like, I have never seen that before. Because in 22 seasons, we've had pitchers go out with injuries and, you know, wait for the, you know, the next pitcher to warm up and everything. But I've never seen an outfielder go into the bullpen and get a hand-long situation. Uh,
3: I think he but- manages
2: with Doc. That's what I think.
3: I Yeah, definitely. And you know, what's interesting is, is you, you talk about that because Tony Kemp is always telling us these amazing metaphors for baseball and life. I love and, him. I just
2: want to interject. I love him.
3: Yes. He, Oh, he's fantastic. And he even said you're playing this game at the highest level of failure. And, you know, you look at a batting average three thirty-three. that's a good player, but you still failed two out of three times. Yes. And it's so bizarre to think about. And I want to tap into that too, because I'm always, I love the the numbers. I love the slash lines. Cool. Paul Blackburn's specialty pitches are dope.
2: Yeah. ERA,
3: whatever. He's great on the road, what have you. But I feel like, you know, for you particularly, and you're saying you're watching the game and you're learning stuff in life as well, the metaphors, you're great at your job, but you know, you're so adored off the field as well. And I don't know, like, I feel like when I'm trying to think of like broadened stuff, but as it pertains to baseball, like you always tap into it. So I can talk about what this guy's doing, but the stuff off the field is just as imperative as who they are on the field. And kind of feels like that with you as well.
2: Well, Thank you for, for all of that. Thank you. Um, I've just learned so much from these guys. And when I was privileged enough to do the, uh, the talk show, the interview show forever giants, which I hope comes back because COVID shut us down, Yeah. but every interview and even, you know, back in the day before you were born when I was interviewing players <laughs> but every player every player I've interviewed has always said the game is more mentally tough mm-hmm. than it is it's more of a mental challenge than a physical challenge trying to stay mentally in the game is more challenging and i just found that to be really really fascinating and every player oh, they've all said it hunter the brandons they've all they've all said it and i and i and I get it. I get it at my advanced age.
3: You know, you're 27 um, years old. I
2: don't, I don't understand it. That's you're absolutely right. Yes. What a, you're absolutely I'm 27 years old. Thank you for that. <laughs> Which means I started at the Giants when I was five. We
3: were basically. negative five years old when you started everything. Yes.
2: <laughs> well, I just love this game so much. And I'm just so honored and privileged to be a part of MLB and to learn from these guys because it, it is such a grind. I mean, the travel and being away from your family and the injuries and how you bounce back. You know, I don't, I don't always have great days at work. I don't always, you know, have people that have my back at work, you know what I mean? Uh, there's always challenges, but you know, when it's time to turn on the mic, hit that mental toughness, remember what I love, and let's go.
3: Yeah. And it's really cool. I, I've talked, I've been on broadcasts where I could, I'd be having such a bad day in the moment the before the first pitch pregame hits. You're like, I can get lost in that. And I can forget about everything bad that's going on in my life. And even the thinking, I'm glad you brought that up because I've noticed with Paul Blackburn or Sheldon Noisy, when they're at their most success, they're not thinking too much, which sounds silly, right? It's just i have to make it simple and i'm like okay well as a journalist as a reporter i need something more than that and they're like that's all i can give you and then when you think about your personal life you're like if i'm overthinking things i'm going to fail and i feel like not thinking is part of the mental aspect of it it's really cool
2: totally totally it, it, you know when it's game time you got to you got to block that mess out and lock it in yeah and it's it's just it's it's amazing to watch it's just amazing to watch these guys and, you know, and I'm exhausted. I mean, how do they feel right now? Yeah, right. I mean, what is today the sixth of August? I'm exhausted.
3: Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and when you're watching some of these guys, who who on this roster this season has impressed you, maybe surprised the most for the players?
2: Oh, you know, um, well, we've had so many injuries and so many call ups. Uh, Luis Gonzalez has become quite the fan favorite. Yeah, and uh. And, and with good reason, too. He's been really, really fun to watch. And I, I got to meet him uh, when we did the play ball lunch in June. And uh, he was adorable. He's like, you call out the names? I was like, okay, yeah, that's all right. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> sure. Let's, yeah. go, let's go with that. Yeah. And then I told him, I said, listen, you, you're quickly becoming a fan favorite. And by the way, your hair is magnificent. Ooh, that's important. Oh, and he was like, really? <laughs> and we're talking hair for like two minutes. He's like, oh, I better make sure I like, you know, gel it up, or you know, it was, it was adorable. But he's been a a big, big, big surprise um, this season. And your mean Mercedes has been—I call him Little Pablo. Mm -hmm. He's like a little mini Pablo Sandoval. Yeah. And that kid has been been very solid. Um, Yeah. It's just there's there's been I, I have announced I I need to go back and see how many you know young guys I've announced this season oh right you know what I mean because a lot of call-ups yeah yeah but Luis and Yermin are, are definitely are definitely my favorite and of course last year was Lamont Wade Jr
3: yes there. that's your boy that's your boy um and I'm glad you mentioned Yermin I covered him a little bit with the River Cats. the man puts the bat out there and it, the ball goes over the fence just insane
2: it is so insane there's
3: no effort and- behind it
2: He's also so joyous, yes. like Pablo was too. Yeah, he's very joy. He's so happy to be here, and he's so joyous, and so he's 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 been a real treat. I have to say, and I love saying "get mean I roll oh, yeah. that hard for him. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Stay
3: loyal in the name and the the, the pronunciations. It's important. Exactly. Uh, thank you for thank you so much for joining me today. I you know you're amazing what you do, but you're even more amazing of who you are. So I really appreciate your time.
2: You're very very kind. Thank you, honey. I just. I'm grateful every day that I get to do what I love, you know, yeah. I'm just grateful every day. And I'm so proud of you and Amelia and all the girls on, on the ML, excuse me, women. Yes. <laughs> from working around men. Right. You know, right, right, no, right. You know we are women. Yes. But all the women on the MLB network. Like, Cause I, like I told you before we went on in 2000, I was the only woman on our crew and to see this now, it just, fills me up it fills my heart and I hope that I took some of the pressure off and took some of the hits so you younger women didn't have to because it has been more than a notion honey
3: yeah starting
2: in 2000 as a woman and a woman of color
3: I get you and you know the the road's still bumpy but it's definitely less bumpy because of y'all
2: and I definitely I definitely mean that awesome Thank you. Well, we have to now stay in touch. And I I feel bad that this, you know, it took so long for us to connect.
3: I know. I know. But that's okay. But there's there's all the time in the world now. Welcome back to A's Total Access presented by Chevron. Jessica Kleinschmidt here, head of A's Rangers. First pitch is set for 5.05 over here on the West Coast with J.P. Sears on the mound facing Kohei Arihara. I'm joined by Jeff Erlaub, who, if you're a diehard A's minor league fan, Perhaps you've heard of him. If not, allow myself to introduce him. Erlaub is here. He's now one of our scouts, area scouts. Very cool that you're still in the organization. Jeff, how are you today?
5: I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having
3: me. Oh my gosh. It's it's such a pleasure. It's really cool when I have my actual friends on here and, you know, watching your career. Not only are we colleagues, but friends now. That's pretty Cool. Um, We recently saw you on the A's at the A's field. So, Ricky Henderson field to be specific. And you were the main scout bringing in Daniel Susak to the squad. You prepped him mainly because he had to sit through a really tough interview with me, the A's first round draft pick in this year's draft. Now, tell A's fans why they should be excited about this guy.
5: I mean, if you look at him, there's just a lot of excitement that he brings. I mean, he's big, he's physical when you first look at him, you don't think he's a catcher. You think he's probably like, you know, a center fielder. That's just really athletic. But um, I mean, the guy's a proven hitter going back to his high school days. I know in high school he was, you know, projected to go probably in the top couple rounds and with COVID and all that hitting, it just didn't work out. But, you know, he made an immediate impact when he got down to Tucson and U of A and freshman all American. I mean, won the starting job single-handedly and, You know, the fact that he produced offensively as well as he did as a freshman, I mean, his bat was just, I mean, it was excellent.
3: And you mentioned COVID, and I don't think we've talked about a lot as it pertains to these college kids who had a full-on season canceled. And from your point of view and having to talk to some of these guys, what was that like for them to essentially miss out on an entire season? For
5: most of them, it was tough because, you know, they felt like they, they kind of drew the short straws. You know, out here in Arizona, I think a couple of high schools maybe got six games. I want to say probably up in Northern California, they got probably close to that as well. Um, And some of the higher prospects that, you know, they feel like they got robbed because they thought they were, you know, ready for professional baseball at, you know, 17, 18 years old. And then realizing at the end of the day, well, you know, whether they wanted to or not, they're ending up at college. And talking with him and really getting to know him kind of more on a personal level. College was the best route for him, he said. Um, Just the development, the coaching, the more one on one instruction he got versus high school baseball, you know, is always more advanced. And, you know, he went in ready to work and learn and, you know, he, he just got a lot better.
3: Yeah. And that's always good to see. I like a guy who is good, but only plans to get better. And I definitely noticed that with him. And I really liked how comfortable he was walking on the field we have we had him and of course Henry Bolte the second round pick out on the field what are your thoughts on a guy who was just drafted he has to deal with that news all of that and then boom he's at the field with possibly his former or his future teammates would you be nervous as heck being in that scenario
5: oh if it was me 100 percent. because you watch these guys on tv and you're like oh you know I want to be like one of these guys one day and then the next thing you know, it's like, hey, go get dressed in the clubhouse. And you're standing around guys that you literally just watched on TV. So if it was me, oh, 100 percent, I'd be nervous. Um, but he's he comes from a baseball family. He's very mature for his age. I mean, he's his brain is kind of wired, to, you know, just only focus on baseball. And, and it's not just the physical part of his game, but it's also the mental part and studying, you know, hitters, studying the different pitchers and sequences and stuff like that. And to be honest, I mean, he, he fit right in with these guys.
3: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, of course, his brother, Andrew Susack has many years in the league. And one of his mentors is actually Max Stassi, a former A's guy himself and a catcher. And I talked to Susak not just about having that mentorship relationship with Stassi, but when you're a catcher, you have to just immediately get in there and have a chemistry bond with that pitcher. And I think of, you know, Sean Murphy, who of course, every catcher in the A's organization from here on out will be compared to, but Murphy has this way of having to remind you, he is not far removed from being a rookie himself, but he's a, this great game planner. And, and I think when you have a guy like Susack who is so mature. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he said he just surrounds himself with a lot of older people and that helps him with that maturation process, which is imperative to a successful catcher, especially as a rookie.
5: Yeah. I mean, he's been, he's been really close, you know, both with Tyler Soderstrom, but also, you know, works with Max Stassi in the off season. And he really just gravitates towards learning and knowledge and asking questions and then almost you know thinking more to the extreme of you know what if I tried this could this work he's very he's very mature in that sense but he's not afraid to think outside the box as well and I think for him and what allowed him to grow and you know be so successful was mentally with talking with his brother you know on a daily basis and always talking with Max Stassi about you know how things go in the big in the big leagues whether it's game meetings or meeting one-on-one with the pitcher or coming up with a game plan you know it just elevated his game even more and obviously having chip Hale as his manager last year who's an a's guy too I mean it, w- it was it was easy for him to be able to prepare because he wanted to prepare some guys it takes a little bit of you know nudging for them to you know really buy into game planning and Okay, you obviously have to hit, but catching is also just as important when it comes to game planning. And and he just dove headfirst into both and was like, whatever knowledge and you know teaching you can throw at me, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna you know digest all of it, and then I'm gonna use it and prepare, you know, when the lights turn on.
3: Yeah, he's he's acting like a sponge. But you're right, seeing him out there, he blended right in. Um, just walking around his body type, I had to do a double take if he was just one of the players on the field. Um, another catcher got some big news today. The news of Shea Langley is He's finally getting promoted to the bigs from AAA, this very highly anticipated move. We just talked to David force A's GM earlier saying it was not a matter of when or if, but when he was going to get promoted. And I watched him a lot, obviously not with my naked eye, but when I did my, did my minor league coverage, everybody found out when I was with the A's, they said, all they would say is Shay Langley the real deal. What do you like about this guy? And what is exciting about the fact that he's finally going to be sporting a green and gold Jersey?
5: I agree with you. I mean, looking at it, you know, obviously uh, from a scouting background and, you know, we follow all the teams and players, you know, through the minor league system, we were all wondering kind of the same question of when, you know, when is he going to be up there? Because I mean, he's proved that he's, more than capable of being big league ready. Um, you know, talking with uh, some of the coaches in AAA that I used to play with, um, his leadership is, is phenomenal. And I think obviously being a catcher and the way Murph also leads as well, um, that's probably going to be one of his more strong suits is leading a pitching staff. But I mean, his offensive numbers are still really good as well. Um, you know, I'm just excited to see kind of, you know, the first couple of weeks, how it goes for him and the learning curve, you know, that he's going to have to go through. But, you know, we all go through growing pains every every level, even in the minor leagues that we get promoted to. And now that he's in the big leagues, I mean, he's going to set the bar pretty high and you know he's going to work hard. And, you know, he's probably going to be right in Murph's hip all the time. And 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 that's a good thing. You know, he's, you know, the our catchers, I, I would say, are very hungry to learn and what better to learn from Murph?
3: I agree. And yeah, and, and force did confirm, you know, when you're promoting a catcher, you're always questioning. What is that mean? What does that mean for Sean Murphy? The trade deadlines come and gone people. So we know Murphy will remain our starting catcher. Langley is going to be his backup and maybe serve as a DH role with that news though, Jeff, Stephen Piscotti was released and this was on the helm not too long ago. Jed Lowry also was released, two veteran guys. We know the future looks bright and despite saying goodbye to some of these guys, that means, you know, we have a path for these younger guys to step up and make a a change. So from your scouting perspective, what has been the main goal when looking for some of these guys and knowing that they're the future of the organization's success?
5: I mean, it's it's tough because, you know, some of the guys, you know, in our clubhouse, you know, I played with in the minor leagues and our job is to kind of find that next crop of young talent that takes over for these guys, you know, whether, you know, they get traded or they move on to our other organizations or they retire. And, you know, our job is to find the guys that we think we can develop, you know, not necessarily the best, but the quickest with their skills to be able to help us compete at the big league level. Um, you know, seeing a guy like Jed, who's been around the game for a long time, same with same with Piscotti, you know, it's sad and, you know, kind of hurts a little bit inside because these guys have been such a key integral part of our organization and they've truly been A's, A's type guys, you know, with the whole family first mentality and all that. Um, it's It's sad, but it's also, you know, kind of that business part of it where we've just got to go back to work and you know, today's what, August 16th, we've already started working on next year's draft class, which is still 11 months away. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot, but you know, it's unfortunate that that's, you know, kind of the nature of the business and how it works.
3: Yeah. And and you mentioned, you know, it feels like you guys packed up from this last draft just to unpack for next year. So it's just an ever turning wheels and and cog and everything like that. And you mentioned, you know, some guys you used to play with you and I were standing on the field and Lou Trevino, this is before the trade, of course, to send him to the Yankees. You said, yeah, I used to play with Lou Trevino. And then you just told me heading into here. Oh, I played with Chad Pinder and Stephen vote. Of course, during your time in the A's organization, they were all, these guys were all once your teammate. What's it like kind of seeing them play and rem- remind yourself. Yeah. I used to share a roster with some of these guys.
5: I love it. I mean, you know, Vote and Pinder were, you know, two probably, two of the probably best teammates I ever played with. Uh, Pinder was in, in double A. Vote was with me in triple A. You know, I played with Lou back when he was a younger prospect in high A. And it's just cool to see the success at the big league level that they've had. When you saw him in the minor leagues and you go, this guy's got something really special. And it's just a matter of time of when he's going to make an impact on the big league team. Um, and then getting on the field and saying hi to the coaches who, I mean, Emo was my pitching coordinator at one point. Emo,
3: friend of the show, Jeff, huge yeah. friend of the show.
5: Yeah. Uh, played for Bushy a little bit. Emart, mart uh, Marcus Jensen was like my rookie ball manager. So like just really being able to get on the field and say hi to, the, you know, these guys, give them a hug and, you know, to know that like it's great to still be a part of this wonderful organization and, you know, as much as my playing days were incredible, like, you know, now I feel like I serve a bigger purpose on the other side of things and trying to find guys that, you know, that I liked or that were similar to me that that can help, you know, seeing Pinder in the clubhouse, giving him a big hug going, Holy cow, I haven't seen you in must be at least five years. Yeah. Um, It's just cool to catch up with those guys and wish them nothing but the best. And, you know, they're just, they're great ball players, but they're, they're even better people and to still have those relationships and remember each other and talk about times, you know, riding the bus leagues in the minor leagues. Like it's good to catch up with those guys.
3: Yeah. And I feel like Pinder's a guy, he, he'll never forget you. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today.
5: You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate that.
1: We'd like to thank Dontrell Willis, Jim Duquette, Rennell Brooks-Moon, and Jeff Erlob from the Oakland Athletics for joining Jessica Kleinschmidt and being right here on A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's cast, powered by iHeartRadio.
5: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.